0: Welcome to the Do Theology Podcast, where we keep doctrine in its place.
1: I'm Ken from Indiana.
0: And I am Jeremy from Utah.
1: Today we are talking about the chart in 3D.
0: Calvinism is much false doctrine as a woman preacher. Well, of course, in fundamentalism, you define everything as a gospel issue this is a true mark of christian maturity to discern the difference of issues
1: i got an idea Let's not one with anybody who thinks they got another idea
0: there's a lot of different understandings of what the days are in Genesis 1 and to what
1: degree evolution was part of how God created things. I have disagreements with him in some areas, but those are adiaphora; those are side issues, many important issues. So many Bible doctrines are ruined when we use the wrong words. This is why it's so critical that we use only the King James
0: Bible. You gotta have that right or get
1: out of here.
0: Pray God that I don't take every minor thing and make a major thing out of it. Nothing divides like truth. I respect them as brothers in the Lord with whom I have some strong differences, but they have a big problem with me. Is there a way that we can work together? I think fundamentally we have to say yes. Christians can disagree and still kick it. All right, so we are taking the 2D chart and we are making it 3D today.
1: What do we mean by that,
0: Mr. Kenneth?
1: So as we have talked about the chart. And we've, you know, again, that the link to the chart will be in the description if you want to see that if you haven't already. It's got those three columns. And when we talk about a 3d view of the charts, we want to understand the chart in such a way that when we are considering second tier and third tier issues in those second and third columns, we want to be looking at the chart from the first column onward. And so allowing the first column to Help us and guide us and direct us as we navigate second and third column issues.
0: Yeah, we talked about in season one, when we were wrapping it up, talking about doubtful things, that third column, we talked about how those choices are going to be limited if you have the first two columns right. Um, And well, the first column right, and the second column, if you've studied that out and developed your convictions, yeah, the third column is going to be, you're going to be, fenced in, uh, by what you can do. So, you know, a real easy one is alcohol. We have alcohol in the third column. It's a conscience issue, whether you drink it or not, but if you have your biblical ethics in order, well, drunkenness is a sin. Mm -hmm. We've, we see in scripture that, um, morally drunkenness is a sin. So what you do with alcohol is really limited by the world standards in that sense. And what's interesting is the last iteration of this chart, I did red, yellow, green, like the stoplight. I did that on purpose. I don't know if I've ever talked about this before. But uh, the reason why it's red, yellow, green is because in the Doubtful Things column, that column all the way to the right, the third column, it's a place of freedom. So it's given the color green where you are free as a Christian, as your conscience allows to experience and engage in certain things. The middle column is in yellow because this is where we need to slow down and study. This is where um, things could easily become heretical, though they could easily become conscience issues too, or they could eas- easily fall on the side of freedom uh, of thought and freedom of belief. So it's a kind of a slowdown area. And the primary doctrine column all the way to the left is in red, meaning you, this, you're locked in, you have no freedom. In these doctrines if you are claiming Christianity, because Christianity is defined by these terms, you can't redefine them. So that's that's the thinking behind the colors that maybe uh, better illustrates the the idea with each column.
1: Yeah, and, and as we—you you gave an illustration there of the—how uh, our primary doctrine can impact and limit some of the conscience issues, or some of the the applications of some of the conscience issues there in that third column. We also talked about in a previous episode about how it's possible to hold to a, a doctrine that we would say fits in the secondary column, and it's possible to hold to that a position that fits in that secondary column while being in while the conclusion is inconsistent with some principles in the primary column. And so there's inconsistency though we still recognize this is a secondary issue. It's not of first importance. And how they arrived at that, maybe they arrived at it in such a way that, you know, in, the, in they haven't thought through the implications on how it could impact those first column things. Um, but And so as we consider that, the first column does impact the other columns. These columns are not so regimented that there's no way that the columns interact with one another they do Mm -hmm. and so that's that's a big part of what we're going to be talking about today
0: yeah so so making this all 3d if you um instead of looking at the chart square on like i am right now if say it was printed out you turned it on its side and you could see it from that angle this is what makes it 3D isn't that really creative listener uh and you could see it from the side and you start with that first column and you look to view the last column through the lens of the first column you'll see um let's take for example uh biblical ethics is such a a wide um a wide one it's easy to do we'll take commitment to the local church we have commitment to the local church in the first column okay so now you're looking at the at the chart from the side, through the lens of commitment to the local church. Now, what happens within that commitment is not only does you rec- do you recognize the local church exists, not only do you attend one, but you're also in submission to church leadership. And now, as you look through the other two columns, it, there's going to be a great effect uh, on the doctrines within based on your commitment to the local church. Your local church might take a stand on certain secondary doctrines that won't necessarily limit you individually, but will limit your ministry. If you're a teacher at that church and you perhaps disagree with the church's official stance on something, uh, you're asked to not teach against it in many situations, and you're limited in your ministry because of that primary issue. And then you go to the third column and you see things like clothing or mission field or uh, music— all of those things can be dictated by the local church as well, in which case um, you're going to be limited in how you are able to express yourself and uh, express yourself in ministry because of your commitment to the local church.
1: Right, and, and just to clarify a point, point, let's say dictated by the local church, that's referring to how a local church is going to choose to operate in gathered worship or maybe even official church-sponsored activities like small groups or things like that hopefully we're not communicating that the local church is dictating what kind of music you can listen to in your personal life. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about when we're gathered together, as an example, when we're gathered together for uh, corporate worship, what songs are sung on a Sunday morning? You know, the local church, the leadership of that church, they have the right to choose and to choose what kind of music is going to be played that morning. And, our commitment to the local church, we come in and we submit to that, even if we have different musical tastes. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: and it's incredibly reasonable and right for churches to have some measure of clothing standards. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, uh, for example, uh, there are churches out there where if you're not wearing a suit and tie as a man or a full-length dress as a woman, you're going to feel out of place because that's like their standard. And that is... In many cases unreasonable. I can imagine some very rare instances, in which case that might be reasonable, but it's unreasonable today in most situations. However, it would be equally unreasonable for a church to say, there's no standard whatsoever. Anybody can be as scantily clad as they want and show as much skin as they want. It's all good. <laughs> Here we are in summertime, and if you had a church near the beach and was like, hey, come on in with whatever you are wearing down at the beach, and let's all sit next to each other and look at each other, yikes. Uh, That's probably not the best idea. Um, And yet, do you have freedom? Do you have personal freedom to wear a bikini at the beach? Yes. Should you have personal freedom to wear a bikini into church on a Sunday morning? Probably not, especially if you're a guy. Too far.
1: Amen. <laughs> that is something we can all agree
0: on. Yeah. Yeah. So so what happens then is because of your commitment to the local church, you're at least in on Sunday morning, you're going to be locked in a little bit as far as what your freedoms are. Uh, but that expands to all of life, especially when we do consider biblical ethics and mm-hmm. what the Bible says as a whole about certain issues. It, it dictates... More to us than just Sunday morning or Wednesday night, those times that we all gather together. If you have a biblical definition of sin and its effects, you are going to limit yourself in areas of living uh, that in ways that honor God because you recognize that there are just certain things that are unrighteous and unholy, and you want to imitate your Savior. Yes. Any other thoughts on that? Going from looking from primary, going the other that direction.
1: Um, no, I, uh, to me, I think that's a good spot to transition into the concept of, of how things slide uh, up or down in the chart. Yeah, that
0: yeah, and it, and the most common is when something that is a conscience issue turns into a
1: sin issue. Mm-hmm.
0: That I think that happens more commonly, though they both happen pretty pretty. Right. Uh, we experience both pretty regularly.
1: And like we just you used alcohol earlier as an example of that where, yes, you have the freedom to consume alcohol, and that slides to a first column issue the second you get drunk, you know. Right. So we have, to, we have to watch that. We have to be careful.
0: And that's a pretty clear-cut one. I mean, we even have breathalyzers that tell us the blood alcohol content, so we can even bring in statistics on something like that to make a more informed decision where it gets really difficult. Is when it seems like the line is so blurry. Mm. Um, you know, for instance, you there's all kinds of music out there. You can listen to all sorts of music. And you can listen to music that has a reference to to sin, um, and enjoying sin. Maybe there's a line in the song that talks about some sort of sin and enjoying it. Sexual morality would be really a popular one. Uh, but the rest of the song doesn't. The art That artist doesn't really talk about that very much. It's just the one song, and most people are going to be fine with that. There are some people whose consciences will be like, I can't listen to that song. I can't listen to that person anymore. Okay, now what if you've got two references in that same song? What if you have multiple references in that song and in other songs? What if the general nature of that person's music tends to be uh, speaking t- about issues and taking pleasure in issues that are sinful? where's the line on when it becomes immoral to actually listen to that music and find entertainment or quote unquote encouragement in that music. That's a tough one. That is an extremely tough one. But we know that at some point it crosses a line. It has to. Yeah. I mean, you can, I mean, if you just keep following that line of logic, okay, then you go to that person's concert and then you start, you know, singing that person's songs and you're, you're playing it for other people, you know, all this other stuff you got, where's the line on all that when it's okay. And a few years ago, I'm actually kind of surprised to find out that this was three, three years ago, August of 2017, Kevin DeYoung wrote an article for the Gospel Coalition about watching Game of Thrones. Do you remember that when this came
1: out, Ken? I do remember it. Uh, it's, I don't recall the substance of the article at all.
0: Well, he starts off by basically saying, look, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen one moment of this show. I hardly know anything about it. Uh, it's full of compelling characters. It has a, an engrossing story, excellent acting, writing, aesthetics, all of that. And then he says, but isn't it also full of sex, like lots and lots of incredibly graphic sex? I did a Google search for, quote, Game of Thrones sex, which seems like a really terrible thing to Google search, (laughs) and found headlines. (laughs) I avoided images and read only headlines. I found headlines about sex scenes you can't unsee in the best sex scenes of the series and why Game of Thrones is so committed to nudity and explicit, sometimes violent sex. Unless I'm mistaken, the series hasn't taken a turn toward modesty in recent months. It seems to me sensuality of a very graphic nature is a major part of the series and still a good number of conservative christians treat the series as must-see tv
1: yeah and uh couple of that okay so that's that's kevin de young's assessment right you bring in i don't know if you're aware that one of the i don't know if it was a director or if it was just somebody on set that is just part of part of the creation of the show or i don't know exactly what his role is but he's got a pretty influential role and he is quoted as saying, my job, I represent the pervert in the audience. And so my job is to identify scenes that ought to have nudity in it. Ah.
0: Wow. Well, how would you feel if you found out you were qualified for that job? <laughs> <laughs> we're looking for a guy to play audience pervert, and we think yeah. you're qualified. <laughs> yeah. It's so Okay, the, so the question becomes, when is it actually immoral to engage in something like that, and then take pleasure in that, I think all Christians would agree, and if not, all Christians should agree that pornography is sinful. Yes. When does a TV show become pornography? Not a not a clear cut answer on yeah, that one. It's not no, but we have to recognize at least the the concept that it can become that mm-hmm. that it can become immoral. That just because it's entertainment or art, that doesn't mean it gets a free pass. We don't do that with pornography that's made for that specific purpose we shouldn't do that for other things even though their primary purpose might
1: be something different we still have to hold them to that standard so it's something to think intentionally about so many times when we're living the christian life we kind of let life happen to us and then we think you know we'll just make a decision in the heat of the moment or something and most of the time at least in my experience if if you've chosen to make a decision in the heat of the moment we're usually making the wrong decision, but if we're thinking intentionally about things, that's where we begin to have a better understanding of our own conscience because part of what makes this conversation difficult about when does it cross the line is the issue of different people have different tolerances for different things, right? So um, I don't, I don't want to keep picking on alcohol, uh, but different people have different tolerances for how much alcohol they can consume before they get drunk right? I, that's probably not a great illustration because it's not a one-to-one yeah. parallel, but you bring that to other other things like different media. And while one song may bother the conscience of one person, that same song may not bother the conscience of another person. They have a different level of tolerance for the content of that song. And so there seems to be a little bit of, this is why it's it's in that third column and it's a conscience issue because different people are going to have different tolerances, but there is a point where it becomes objectively wrong across the board. And You mentioned yeah. pornography. It's just, it's difficult to know where that point is for many kinds of media.
0: Another one that I struggle with, so like Kevin DeYoung, I've never seen one moment of Game of Thrones, and I have no interest in it. I've also never seen one one moment of Lord of the Rings, so... How's that for you're a all you nerds out there? <laughs> yeah. uh, but another one is horror films. So you've got a whole genre of movies that's based on blood and gore and murder and fright. What do we do with that? Like, what what do you do when, when you're at a small group Bible study and someone brings up, yeah, we were watching Saw 4 last night and blah, blah, blah? Is it sinful to find entertainment in Saw? Uh boy, <laughs> I mean, how are you not taking pleasure in wicked
1: yeah. wickedness yeah. at that
0: point? so I this this episode isn't meant to answer those questions definitively, but at least to help you start thinking of how, just because something is in a third column, or in the third column falling into one of those subcategories of conscience issues, that doesn't mean then it's free from any kind right. of first column. Uh, treatment, because it could go into something that is, or it could evolve into something that is really serious. Another example, as I'm looking at the chart that I'm thinking of is hobbies. You got hobbies in the third column. And of course that's a conscience issue, right? Hobbies, uh, Mm -hmm. we all have them some sort. And uh, there are, there are countless things that you can do that are fun fishing, being a part of some sort of club or group in your city, uh, building things, whatever it might be. When could how could a hobby ever become a first column issue? And say it's say it's a perfectly fine hobby that has nothing to do with sin. You're not joining, like your local uh, drunkard's club or whatever. Um, it's something that in and of itself is fine. Well, what if you become so obsessed with that hobby that you lose your commitment to the local church because mm-hmm. of that hobby? Now it's become a first column issue. Now that hobby's on the first column because of what it's doing in your life. Um, you know, not saying that, that the activity in and of itself is now sinful or blasphemous, but the effects that it's had on your life um have been detrimental and it's something that has to be addressed as a sin issue.
1: Yeah. Nothing
0: um, nothing is free from from that sort of evolution.
1: Yes. And and but then, even with that, we—At what point can we say this hobby is now impacting my commitment to the local church? Is it if I miss church one week? Is it if I miss church two weeks? You know, in a calendar year, what if I miss a month of services throughout the whole year? You know, once a quarter or something like what that. What if
0: I'm going to miss one Sunday
1: a month? Yeah, yeah. Just w- at what point? And that's it's probably not. There's not an easy answer to there's that not. either. You but know? people have to think about it and let
0: their. Let the Spirit work on their consciences. Yes. That's the that's the thing, is that even on recognizing when something crosses the line, we're not going to always agree. Uh, but what we can't do out of faith is sin. And if we're never challenging ourselves on these things, then we might just be... Um, we just might be doing things because we've we've not thought about it, and that's not a good place to be. You shouldn't act out of ignorance
1: and and at that point too you're you're acting out of your desires and without mm-hmm. considering whether or not those are desires of the flesh or innocent desires or, or whatever you're just doing whatever you want without thinking things through and that's that is yeah. problematic
0: politics you know someone a lot of people are raised thinking, okay, if that person has an R next to that name, that person's fighting the Christian cause. Or if that person has a D next to uh, his or her name, then that person is fighting for uh, the Christian cause. And there in politics, there are so many factors there that you have to think through and, and weigh out that directly impact first column issues. If you're voting for somebody who has no problem with slaughtering babies, that's a problem. If you're voting for somebody who is totally immoral and advocates immorality, that's a problem.
1: Yeah. Yeah. it's it, And it's difficult. I, I'd be curious. This, uh, here's a little, ha, okay. Uh, let me, let me play devil's advocate. I agree with you. Let me play devil's advocate. Uh, Someone responds, okay, if you're voting for someone that is, you know, pro-abortion and they're for the murder and the slaughter of innocent, innocent children, but they respond back with, well, it doesn't, uh, the abortion right does not seem to be impacted based on who is elected, and so I'm going to set that issue aside and I'm going to vote on other issues, and uh, it just so happens that the candidate that I prefer. Yes, they are pro-abortion, but the, those babies seem to be being slaughtered anyway, so I'm going to vote because they also favor these other policies that I agree with that I think do reflect a biblical worldview. How would you respond to that?
0: Yeah, so the person who makes that argument is actually making a really good point. I don't think there's—I um, don't think I could say, well, that person's making—saying uh, something illegitimate. But the solution is wrong. So the concept of it, abortion, murder, uh, it's going on regardless of who's elected. So I'm going to set that issue to the side. Basically, okay, punching. Yeah. Well, I agree with that first part of the statement. Yeah, it's going on regardless of who's elected. But I'm not going to say so. I'm going to set it aside. I'm going to. I want to look at. So I want to find a new way. To address that major issue. Mm. You know, if this was something like um, just tax increases, for instance, that the Bible doesn't talk to as nearly as much as murder, um, but when it does talk about taxing, it says, look, this is Jesus and Paul. Uh, if you're taxed, pay your taxes. <laughs> and that's all it says. So if we're talking about tax increases, I could maybe follow that argument look, it doesn't matter who's in office, taxes are going to go up. So I'm going to set that aside and look at other issues. But when we're talking about murdering human beings made in the image of God, whether those are adults or those who are in the womb, then we don't say, so I'm going to set that aside and forget about it. Why would we ever put murder to the side and yeah. forget about murder? So instead we want to look at new ways to address that issue and I th- always think of Romans 1 in situations like this, when it goes it talks about God giving people over to their sin, and it gives a list at the end of the chapter of sins that um, these depraved acts, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things which are not proper, and it says wickedness, greed, in en- uh, evil, envy, murder, strife, all these things. And then it says... Although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. I don't want to give approval to those who unabashedly practice, yeah. promote, show off immorality.
1: Yeah. And boy, does that
0: does that conscience perspective limit your voting <laughs> opportunities? Yeah.
1: It does, because then... You swing it over to the other side, and, okay, maybe now now uh you start looking at the, the other side of the spectrum where, okay, yeah, now they are, are anti-abortion, but they advocate for other things that are problematic, to say the least, when it comes to a whole range of other issues. And, and they run on a platform that says they're going to do something about abortion,
0: but then they don't. Yeah. So – Who cares what they say at that point? Um, And and that's just one issue um, that the Bible talks about. You know, murder. You could also talk about homosexuality. Mm -hmm. Um, You could also, you know, get into um, things like uh, eminent domain—the stealing of property, uh, where the government steals people's property. You could you could go through a variety of things and say, well, they run on one platform, but then they don't do it. So financial responsibility. Yeah, fiscal. Fiscal yeah. stewardship. Right. Yeah,
1: there's a whole host of issues there. So it gets very so. complicated very fast. Yeah, it does. Yeah, so it's it's difficult. But there is there is a point where a candidate and their positions and the things that they're running on is so egregious that it seems to violate those first-order issues.
0: And that line is going to be different for everybody. I mm-hmm. mean,
1: we we saw in the last
0: election – the christians pro Trump and Christians who were never Trump,
1: who was right yeah, right and then and then, I mean we're facing the same thing again, aren't we you know with the uh with this upcoming election so mm-hmm. yeah it's it's challenging incredibly challenging and and we will
0: never make the best decisions when we're thinking pragmatically mm-hmm. so if we if we consider these things from a perspective of i want to be consistent with my convictions we're going to be so limited we can open the door and feel better if we're thinking pragmatically we have more options that way and we can justify our actions because of this because of that but pragmatism is a detriment to the church mm-hmm. we have to be consistent with our convictions and that will cost us something
1: yeah I think the only other thing I think I have on this portion of this conversation, you know, when it comes to these conscience issues, you know, we talk about how there seems to be this almost like a sliding scale for different people of what their tolerances are, of where, you know, their consciences would start to be bothered by something. And I want to be very clear, whatever that line is for an individual person, the second you cross that it has become a first-column issue, and it has become sinful, because as Romans, Paul wrote in Romans, it makes it very, very clear, whatever is not of faith is sin. So if you're not sure where the line is, and if you're not sure that you're not crossing that line, but because you're not sure you're using that lack of confidence in that decision as justification to go forward with it, you're sinning. You are in sin, so you need to take a step back and 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 think clearly about these things and and think through the biblical lenses.
0: Yeah, the two ditches really on this are one ignorance of uh, ignorance of what scripture says and the other ditch is rejection of what your conscience says. Mm-hmm. yeah so uh, taking something like giving. we've got finances and personal giving and stuff on there. Uh, so tithe, tithe is a word that all American Christians know, and perhaps you you're living your Christian life, and you've heard Christians should tithe, and you've also heard ah tithing's for the Old Testament, it's not for us today, and you just kind of landed in this spot where you're just like ah I'll just give a little here and there when I'm able, and that's how you live your life. And I would venture to guess the vast majority of American Christians are in that camp. If you are if you have an ignorance of what the Bible says about giving to your local church, and it says a lot um, principles found in the old Testament and explicit commands found in the new Testament. If you are ignoring what the Bible says by not doing your own study to hear from God about that issue, that's a ditch to fall in where you are in the wrong. If you have studied and then your conscience is informed and you have a, uh, your conscience says, look, Ten percent, eight percent, twelve percent, whatever it might be, and that's your conviction. But you say, uh, um, "I'm, I, I can't. You know, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that. Uh, you know, I, I feel, I feel this pull to do this or to do that. That this is right, but you know, I'm not going to. Maybe you reject giving to your church altogether. And this would be a really clear cut case, and uh, you reject your conscience." and reject what Scripture says, now now you're in a place uh, where you're in a, in a ditch also. So mm. what you need to do is study Scripture on these issues, hear um, you know, what it is that God's doing
1: in your heart, and then
0: live in step with those things. Yeah.
1: Yes. So we spent uh, the majority of this conversation talking about issues in that third column, but I want to hit on just a couple of things in the second column. And try to think through how things could slide um, into primary, uh, or um, actually, there's probably not much that could slide down into um, into the doubtful things column. But so in the in the second column, these a lot of what's in the second column are uh, either matters of of practice within the local church, or they are matters of of a theological position on particular things. And I'm going to just take for instance something like the age of the earth. We have the age of the earth hmm. and the second column and we have identified that as a it's a it's not of primary importance. It's not of first importance because scripture doesn't say that if you do not hold to a literal 6000-year creation as uh it's uh, spoken of in Genesis you 1. You just
0: gave Ken Ham a Charlie Horse somewhere. He I was know. just walking <laughs> on a sidewalk enjoying his life and then because he said that <laughs> it just Ah, <laughs> sharp
1: pain. <laughs> but but it, listen to where I'm going. Then <laughs> you probably know where I'm going. So there's we we say that this is a second a secondary issue. It's a second column issue. However, we would make the argument that placing this issue in the second column is it can be a I don't know if a "slippery slope" is the right word. It can be a a trip up in this in the primary column when we begin to talk about biblical inerrancy and authority. Is does what the Bible say? Is that true? And is it an accurate account of history? And so when Genesis one speaks of God creating the world in in six days, and and it's not, you know, we're not doing the whole day-age theory, we're not doing the gap theory or anything like that. God created the world in six days. If we if we believe in, in biblical inerrancy, how is that going to impact what we believe about the age of the earth? And our argument would yeah. be, well, that's going to lead to, you know, a, an understanding of the earth as being about roughly 6,000 years old.
0: Well, and let's let's face it, on that particular issue, and we don't obviously want to stay on one particular issue for this episode, maybe we will in a future episode, but on this issue, the reason why someone believes in an old earth as defined by old earth uh, theology, the way that that person gets there is science informs his hermeneutic. Right. If it weren't for modern science and what's coming out in modern science, they would have no reason to interpret the scriptures that way. And and they wouldn't. It's true. It would, so science set, makes their claims, they come out, they have their arguments, and that says, okay, well then that must, these words in Genesis then must have a metaphorical aspect or they might not have a plain meaning. It might be a, a poetic thing where we shouldn't interpret it literally, but instead receive it as poetry and allow science to interpret those verses for us, which my goodness, that's a scary thing to say. And um, and so that's that's what's going on there. Now, what you're saying is, where do you draw the line with science interpreting scripture for you?
1: Essentially, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because
0: if Genesis one is is interpreted by science as being metaphorical, well, then who's to say Genesis two isn't, or three, or four, or five, and on and on and on you go until all of a sudden you wind up in this place where Jesus never existed, and if he did, he was just some guy, and there were myths made about him, and blah blah blah. And that's where so many evangelical Christians, former uh, people, let's see, how should I say this? People who were formerly associated with evangelical Christianity, that's where they have ended up. Yeah. And they've gone down that very route. So we're not, so we, we don't respond to that whole phenomenon and say, see, if you believe in an old earth, then that means you're a heretic. Because we still have age of earth in the second column. Right. But we, but we argue, do recognize it is a slope,
1: right? And we would argue that if you do not hold to how, how am I going to phrase this? It's possible to affirm biblical inerrancy and even affirm a you know affirm a biblical hermeneutic and, and biblical authority, and yet, well, because of what science says, I'm going to hold to an old Earth model of creation. It's possible to hold those two simultaneously but we would say that there's an inconsistency there and even so we would even though we would place the age of the earth in that second column it's they're they're holding a position that is inconsistent with something that's in the first column so and there's other theological areas that uh, could be impacted by that same kind of uh, thing as well i'm trying to think of other examples do you have any that come to mind well, any of them are taken to their logical conclusion, yeah. Um,
0: so Calvinism, if you carry, right. ca- if you take Calvinism all the way, um, and then add to it your natural conclusions and applications of, of that, um, then your application could be: well, let's reject evangelism. In which case, you're rejecting a first column issue.
1: Mm-hmm. Have you um, seen those uh, those charts of the different flavors of Calvinism? Where there's like high Calvinism and ultra high Calvinism, and no. there's like these tiers. There's like there's like nine tiers or something of Calvinism. Oh, it's no longer just Calvinism and hyper Calvinism anymore. Oh huh? no, it's... there's there's nine tiers and there's different nuances and stuff. And most people, you know, just about everybody looking at a chart like that would agree that the high whatever's on the highest level up there is is heresy. But where where on that? Chart and uh, I may I should pull that up sometime and, and read through it because I don't have. Where do you any. cross the line into heresy? Yeah, right. Yeah, that's uh, that's. I'd have to look at the chart and to see how it describes things again to to call that to mind. But we that, that the point is that there is a point where a, a theology taken too far, yeah. begins all to violate. Them. Yes,
0: the, yeah, because these are all the reason they're in the second column is these are. Systems created by man to best summarize large themes mm. in the Bible. Now, that's a good thing. God created us to do to understand and to teach, but we do recognize their systems created by man, and therefore they have the potential for uh, being heretical. Dispensationalism is another one. It's easy to take dispensationalism to the point of well, there were there are two ways of salvation. There are two peoples of God that are saved in different ways, and.
1: All kinds of crazy stuff comes out of that, or you begin to say, "Well, that's the, this passage of scripture is not applicable for us in any way because it's not written for our dispensation." And so you can just yeah. strip away whole books of the Bible because they're not for this current dispensation. Yeah, large New Testament sections. Yeah. Yes.
0: Um, you know, but a key place to see, uh, you know, the sliding down from. So we've been talking about second column bumping up to first column, but to see first column sliding down to second column is we have those things in the first column like baptism and evangelism and giving, uh, those sorts of things. Uh, the methods of those things are secondary in nature, so it would be wrong— for us to, and communion's one, I skipped over communion. It would be wrong for us to look at something like communion and say the way that our church does it is the biblical way, and if any church does it any other way, then that church is wrong.
1: And they're in sin. Right. Yeah.
0: Now, now, if you were to say, if they don't do it at all, and, okay, if that church doesn't do it at all, they're wrong and they're in sin, I agree with you. Mm -hmm. But if you say, if they don't do it the way we do it, they're wrong and they're in sin. Well, uh, now, now you, now you're wrong, <laughs> because we have to recognize there are different methods of partaking in communion that are equally legitimate, right? And that's something that we're we're going to do a whole episode on this season about the legitimacy stuff, right? Um, that's people have had had questions for me about that
1: yep and and that's it's uh it's completely understandable in uh where those questions come from and we we do want we do want to talk through through those
0: yeah and and just as a note when we say there are different ways that are equally legitimate different theologies or different hermeneutics or different practices that are equally legitimate, what we mean by that is that they are not in sin and that they're they are consistent mm-hmm. and if you meet those two qualifications where it's not sinful and it's not inconsistent then it's legitimate. Um now they can that still be wrong.
1: All,
0: yes, does that mean yeah. that they're all true? Well, no, we're not postmodern. Uh two two things can't both be true. But they can be of equal legitimacy and we'll we'll get into that. We'll discuss that. Yeah. yeah.
1: That's uh I think that's actually will be our next is the next episode in our season actually. It will be a discussion about that. Good. So
0: well, we've gone on for some time
1: now, haven't we? Yes, we have. Probably a good the time. chart
0: to... in 3D.
1: There we go. We need to develop some kind of awesome, cool graphic. I don't have that kind of capability. But... Yeah, I was talking to someone earlier
0: today <laughs> saying that we're recording this episode about the chart in 3D, and he asked if we had a graphic. Any listener out there want to make a cool graphic of the chart in 3D? I don't even know how you would do that, but... I'll take it.
1: Yeah, hit us up. <laughs> well, we think. Any concluding thoughts? I I don't. I think we uh, we covered that pretty well. Um, how first, second, and third column. Again, we want to start with the things that are in that first column and view everything through that, and that will impact and shape how we understand everything. And yeah, I think that's that's the most important thing that we can communicate is that, again, as as we emphasized in previous—in in last season and in other episodes—the importance of God's Word and what God's Word says and what it doesn't say. And once we keep that in our view and are abiding by those principles, a lot of this stuff begins to fall in place. Yeah. So. Yep.
0: And uh, for those of you who um, have, you know, joined in on our podcast community listening to this— maybe just recently because of the Tim Challey's interview. If you've listened all the way to the end, we can let you know that the next episode is going to be our interview with Josh Bice, the founder of the G3 conference and the G3 a ministry network we're going to have a conversation with him next week so stay tuned for that please like comment share rate all that stuff that is uh, a way that you can help us we don't want your money we want your social interaction that's a way of giving us a million dollars if you do that so uh, we would take that if if you would be so kind
1: Amen, absolutely please do okay hey. well until next time do theology